God, we pray that as we look at your word today, we pray that you will come and speak to us, that spirit, you will come and speak straight into our hearts. God, speak straight into our situations. And, and God, we pray that you will show us more of yourself today. That God, you will show us more of your, your glory and, and who you are and, and your character. And, and, and Father, we really pray that your word will transform and change our lives and convict us, God, that this will not just be like a, a talk or, or just some information that, that we hear, but God, this will be truth that changes our lives. So God, we pray, Spirit, would you come and speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think my mic is, my mic is a bit too loud. Okay, how many of you have read or are reading Genesis? Okay, so let, let's persevere, okay, persevere through, through, uh, through reading through the book of Genesis. Um, if you have your Bibles, would you take them out and, and get your Bibles ready? Okay, today I'm going to be, we're going to be flipping here and there, okay, so it would really help if, if, if you have your Bibles. There's, there's too much text, I cannot put everything on the screen, so I think it will be really helpful if you, if you have your Bibles open, okay, and... Uh, we're going to look at the story of Joseph, which spans um, 30, chapter 37 to 50, right? Which is like a lot of chapters. Um, yeah, so, so there's, there's going to be a lot of flipping here and there. I saw that, Reti. <laughs> uh, we were, yeah, get your Bibles ready, okay? Okay. You know, I, I know that many of us grew up in church, right? And, and maybe, maybe for some of us, we're like, oh, yeah, we know the story, lah, okay? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, right? I, I grew up in church as well. Um, and, and actually, I've read through Genesis several times versus, let's say, a book like Isaiah, <laughs> you know, a harder book, right? And, but, 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 you know, as we, went, as we went through this series, um, and as I read through Genesis again, I, I, I still learned so much. You know, I still learned, like, new things, and, and, and I really believe that the Word of God is, is living and active, and it never gets old. You know, it never, it's never like, oh, just read the whole thing already, I know everything, right? It, it never gets like that. It's, it's nev it never gets old. It never gets um, irrelevant. For example, how many of you were here last week? Jana and Sermon. Right, so I was listening to it, um, uh, and, and I thought he, he did a good job setting up Joseph part one, right? And, and I have to admit that, you know, I've always thought of Joseph as a bit of a... Do you still use it? You know, he's like a yaya papaya, you know? Right? He's like, he's like a tattletale. Like, what's his problem, right? Like, who goes and complains to your, you know, to your, your, your parents? Like, your brothers are slacking, and then you go and complain. And then, and then he, he, he will say like, Oh, hey, bros, I had a dream. All of you bow down to me. <laughs> right? I mean, like... So annoying. If he was my brother, I'll just slap him, right? Like, so he's, you know, he's asking for it, right? Then he got thrown into a pit and, and, and all that. But as, as, I, as I've been reading through and thinking through the Joseph story, actually, I realized that this guy is really something, okay? Um, he, was, he was the favored son, right? And if you are the unfavored son, then obviously you don't like the favored son, right? But he was the favored son, and yet, he did not take that favor for granted, right? And, and that's actually, I, I, this, I think that's what Jan Han was saying, right? He was intensely loyal to the father who favored him, 
right? So, so that, is, that is why he, like, he pointed out what his brothers did and, and all that. And, and in the same way, he was intensely loyal to Potiphar, right? That is why he knew, like, I mean, I'm assuming that Potiphar's wife is, like, pretty attractive, right? Like, she's a rich, you know, woman, whatever, right? But he, he knew that, that absolutely he would not sleep with her or, 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 like, do anything with her precisely because Potiphar has trusted him with so much, right? Very loyal guy. And, and then eventually, you know, he was, he was loyal to the pharaoh of Egypt and, and all that. And, and I think the more I think about it, actually, I agree that Joseph was, was quite a righteous man. He was actually a really right. I think Jonathan said that, like, he was quite blameless. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing really wrong with him. And obviously, um, today, we don't have time to go through all the, you know, the, the nine or however, 50 minus 37 is, it, uh, the chapters of, of Genesis, I, I don't, we don't have time to go through that in detail. Um, so I'm going to assume that most of you here roughly know the story or you've read a bit of it, okay? Um, and I'm going to be referring to different chapters um, here and there, okay? Okay? Is that okay? Um, so but we're going to start by, uh, let me walk through, uh, walk through the story of you a little bit, just in case some people haven't read it. Um, but also because I think it's a, it's a fascinating story, okay? Um, if you look at Genesis 37... Right, right, right at the start when Joseph is, is uh, you know, his brothers um, did that to him. I, I, I think Joseph really suffered. It, it, was, it was really a horrible thing, right? He was 17 years old. Who here is 17? Right, some of us, yeah, yeah. Right, um, so he was 17 years old when his own brothers, okay, now, I, I'm not sure if Benjamin was involved in all this. I'm suspecting not, right, because at the end he's like, Oh, five times the food, right? Um, but, but at least 10 of his brothers, so it's like 10 v. 1, right? They wanted to kill him. Okay, now, I mean, most of us here, we have siblings, right? We, I mean, siblings always fight, right? But for 10 boys to gang up on one and want to kill a brother, I mean, that's pretty bad, right? So just imagine 17-year-old Joseph he goes to find his brothers, and like they just throw him into a pit, right? Or they, they or a well, right? Or, or what else? Yeah, pit or well. And and if you look at Genesis uh, Genesis thirty seven verse twenty five, okay, they throw him into the well, and then and then it says verse twenty five, as they sat down to eat their meal. Okay, so it's like Joseph is probably in the well, being like, help, Coco, help me, right? Like don't like that, eh, Coco, right? And they're like. Like, they sat down to eat. I mean, like, come on. They're jerks, okay? And then, and then they see some foreigners. You're like, oh, maybe we should sell him, right? And then, and then they took him out of the pit, right? So maybe Joseph is like, okay, okay, this is, this is coming to an end, right? They're just they're going to stop it now. And, and he thinks like, okay, this you know, finally they'll just, just stop it. Instead, instead, he gets handed over to these strangers, right? Who very likely, you know, they, they, they tie him up or they, they bound him, whatever, right? Because he's being sold as a slave. And imagine all this while, all this while, he's like, hey, come on, don't like that lah. Hey, Coco, stop it lah. Hey, hey, come, hey, don't joke with it. You know, like all this while, like 10 of them, 10 of them just standing there and he's like, hey, please, ah, please, ah, please, right? And they're just, they're just heartlessly ignoring him. And, and I want us to take a moment to really appreciate just how traumatizing this is, right? Joseph is 17 years old. That He's like the same age as like, I don't know, my Keegan or something. I know Keegan's 16, right? Like around there, right? He's that age, okay? 
and, and, and basically your 10 brothers have just physically abused you. They threw you into a well. Now they're selling you to these random strangers who are going to take you who knows where, right? They're going to take you far away from home. And obviously these are the days without like phone and email, whatever, right? You will likely never see your family ever again. You have no idea where you're going. You have no chance to say goodbye to your beloved father who favors you, right? And, and your brother, uh, you know, your, 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 your favorite brother, Benjamin, right? You have no idea what's going to happen to you. It's really, it's really bad, right? It's really scary. It's really traumatizing. This is the kind of thing that scars you for life, right? It's not like the next day you're like, okay, <laughs> right? It scars you for life. Now, if you've read the story and, and if you've heard last week's sermon, you will know that after that, you know, a lot of things happen, right? But eventually, Joseph ends up as number two, in command in Egypt, right? Hey, thanks. Quite good, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. Second only to the king, right? He ends up second to the king, second to Pharaoh, right? And, 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 and so he, he kind of, it works out, right? But I want you to remember exactly what his brothers did to him and how bad it was. Because today, we pick up the story from Genesis 42 when his brothers show up again in Egypt, Right? This is about 20 over years later, okay? He's been away from home for more than 20 years, and then suddenly you see your 10 stinking brothers, <laughs> okay? Like, imagine how would you would feel if you were Joseph, right? And there they were, bowed down before him, right? Just like in his dream 20 over years ago. How the tables have turned, right? And, and they don't recognize him. Right, because you know, not every 37-year-old looks uh, young as they did when they. Okay, yeah, they well, they, they don't recognize him, but he recognized them, right? So they're all bowed down before him now. He could have just like, psh, like kicked all of them, or like I don't know, take a knife and just like, or whatever, right? He could have done many things um, to them, right? While they were before him, and he's in a position of power now. They are at his mercy, right? Instead, he goes through this, a series of like slightly weird things, right? In Genesis 42 to 44, like he says, oh, you guys are spies. And then he puts Simeon in jail. And he asks for Benjamin to come. And then, have you read the story? Like he plants the money in their sacks. And then after that, it's just really strange. And they come back and suddenly they feast with Joseph. But Benjamin is there. He gets five times. It's really weird, right? It's just like, here's some rice for you, rice for you, rice. <laughs> right, like, okay, here's your drumstick, drumstick, and like five drumsticks. Like, what's he gonna do with all that food, man? Like, where does he even find space to like times five the, the portion of everyone? And, and then after that, um, he's like, okay, bye, you can go home now. But then he hides the silver cup in Benjamin's sack, and then and then he has this guard chase them down, and they all oh, they are just like, oh, GG, and then they come back to the palace. I mean, to 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 right. And what, what's Joseph doing? Like, is he trolling his brothers? Like, I think I think a bit, right? Um, I, I think he's actually testing them, uh, but, but that's another story. We, we don't have time to go into all that, right? But, and, and then they come back, and then there's this big emotional moment. Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. He's like, okay, enough of these games and schemes. And he finally reveals himself to his brothers, weeping loudly, right? I am Joseph. And of course, the brothers are like completely shook. They're just like what? And, and he's like, yeah, how's that? And they're like, 
right? Like uh, verse 3, his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I mean, you can understand how they feel, right? Because they sold him off as a slave, right? But now he's like the powerful Egyptian ruler in front of them whom they are completely at the mercy of. Um, and if they were scared of him before as the Egyptian ruler who's trolling them, right? Like now they're just like, oh, shucks, this is the brother that we bullied and completely betrayed and, and, and sold off like 20 over years ago. But then Joseph says this fascinating thing in verse 4 onwards. Okay, so look at verse 4. He says, I am your brother, Joseph. And then like, just in case you, you didn't catch it, you know, the one you sold into Egypt, remember? Uh, then he says this, And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. Like, that is not what I would have said, okay? <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourself, right? Like, but, but yeah, so Joseph is a righteous man, right? He's, he's gracious. He's like, oh, don't blame yourself. Um, don't blame yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, okay, to make sure that you and your families survive, basically to keep you alive, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Right, so this is Joseph, after going through like so much rubbish, right, thrown in a well, sold off as a slave by his own family, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, um, even though he was trying to do the right thing, right, thrown in jail and then forgotten by the person whom he helped, right, in hindsight, he looked back on his life and he acknowledged and saw the hand of God. He, he recognized that it was God's plan all along. Three times he says, God sent me. Right? He acknowledges the hand of God. God sent me. And you know, he wasn't, he wasn't bitter or spiteful. He wasn't like, you know, brothers, I suffered so much. You screwed up my life. But in the end, I overcame all odds and now I'm the successful ruler. Right? He, he, he didn't say that. Like, take that, suckers. Like, now I'm great and powerful. Right? He didn't say that. He's just like, like, oh, God sent me, you know, that don't, be, don't be angry with yourself. And he recognized that God had a purpose for all this, which is to save lives. Right? He tells his brothers, hey, bros, God sent me ahead of you to save you. You know, if you hadn't sold me off, I wouldn't be here right now, pretty much ruling over Egypt, and able to give you grain for your family so that you don't die. Right? And he saw... He saw that God had a plan and God had a purpose, right? He saw that very clearly. And, you know, even in, in the last chapter, okay, if you look at Genesis 50, after their father, uh, Jacob, dies, the brothers, who are clearly still, like, guilt-ridden and, and you know, they're, they're, they're scared that, like, now the father died and Joseph's not going to give them face anymore, right? And it's just this really ridiculous thing. They send a messenger to him with this, like, whole, like, oh, you know, Papa, before he died, he tell you to forgive us. So uh, you should forgive us, right? And it's just like, what? Has grace and forgiveness not been shown already? And, and Joseph wept because what a hurtful thing to say. Like, I already showed you, like, I already tell you not to be angry with yourself and, and all that. And you're just like, oh, Papa, so you must forgive. Right. And, and so he's just like, what in the world? And, but because he's a righteous man, you know, he's not impatient like me, right? He's, instead of saying, now, what's your problem? He says, um, 
He was kind to the brothers. And once again, he just acknowledged the plan and purposes of God. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. And, and I want you to notice this, right? That Jacob doesn't excuse their mistake, right? He, it's, he's like, yeah, I know you made an escape, a mistake. He doesn't excuse it. He doesn't condone it. He doesn't pretend that it was no big deal. He doesn't pretend it didn't happen. He says, yeah, I know that you did something wrong. You intended it for harm, but God, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, which is the saving of many lives. Okay, you intended harm, but God intended good. And again, he talks about how it was God's plan and purpose to save lives. Now, I want you to know that in the same way, Lao Jen, God has a plan and a purpose for all your lives. And I know that it is not easy to see it when you are in the midst of the hardship and the suffering, right? I really don't think that on the way to Egypt, while he was tied up and, and bound or traveling with these, you know, random strangers, that I, don't, I really don't think Joseph was like, oh, well, God has a plan and purpose for me, you know? And, like, I really don't think he's just sitting in the, whatever, the camel or, the, or maybe he's walking, whatever. I, I don't think he's just like, oh, well, my brothers intended this for harm, but I know God's going to work. I don't th- I, I'm pretty sure he was just freaking out, right? But in hindsight, in hindsight, he sees, right? In that moment, it was hard. You know, if you look at Genesis 37, there's actually no mention of God at all. God is not mentioned at all, right? In fact, before Joseph can say all this, right, um, he, he still has to deal with his own emotions, right? The Bible says, like, when, he, when his brothers came, he, like, pretended not to know them, he spoke harshly to them, and, and then he came out with all these schemes, right? Um, and then when he first saw Benjamin, he, he couldn't control himself, he had to run out of the room to cry, remember that? And, and, and then, of course, when he revealed himself to his brothers, right, the Bible says he cried so loudly the entire palace heard him. So there's a lot of emotions that he still had to deal with, right? It's not like an easy, casual, like, oh, it turned out for good. It's not, it's not easy, it's not casual, but in hindsight... Joseph did understand and he realized that all this stuff that he had gone through, they were part of the plans and the purposes of the Lord. Even things like, I'm sure, even things like Potiphar's wife, right? The incident with Potiphar's wife. You know, Joseph was like, he's like the model reaction, right? Like, you know, there's temptation, model thing to do, run away, right? And he tried to do the right thing. But precisely because he tried to do the right thing, he was put in jail, Right? He was put in jail. But if he had not gone to jail where he met the chief cupbearer, right, then he would not have been introduced to the Pharaoh. Right? If not for the incident with Potiphar's wife, he would not have ended up in jail right? and met the, the chief cupbearer. Now, if the chief cupbearer had not uh, forgotten him initially, right, imagine the chief cupbearer just... He went out, he remembered Joseph. He's like, oh, by the way, Pharaoh, you know, there's this guy called Joseph, blah, blah, blah. I mean, Pharaoh's just like, whatever, I have a kingdom to run, you know? Like, he, he probably wouldn't care, right? But it's because he only remembered at that moment when Pharaoh needed someone and when Pharaoh was desperate for help, that's when Pharaoh said, okay, bring that Joseph guy out because he realized that he, he, he needs help, right? He's dependent on this guy and, and, and that's how Joseph um, got to that position, Right? And so I think sometimes we don't understand why we have to go through certain things, right? I'm sure all of you have gone through something like that. We don't understand why it has to be so tough. 
I mean, even the story of Joseph, right? Did he really need to get thrown in the well and sold off and jailed and all that to get to num- you know, the, the number two position? I don't know. I don't know why it was specifically that route. And very often we don't understand, right? Why must, be, why must it be so tough? Why, why do we have to go through certain things? But very often, very often in hindsight, we can see a bit better. We can understand, understand a bit better. And, and that has been an experience in my life. Right? I, I mean, I have the advantage of having lived a few more years than most of you. Right? And very often in hindsight, when I look back, then I understand a little bit better why God allowed certain things to happen in my life. Right? Things that in that moment, you just feel like, why? God, why? Right? But maybe like 10 years later... <laughs> 20 years later, I don't know, 60 years later, right? Sometimes in hindsight, we look back and we understand a bit better. Now, a simple, like a very obvious example, a simple example would be like a, a bad breakup that I went through. Like that has to happen in order for me to marry the greater and better looking husband that I now have, right? Right, if you never broke up with this person, you right? Uh, that's like very simple. But um, more than that, you know, I, I, I think I shared with you before, uh, one of the lowest points of my life was when I, I had surgery. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and this was like right after I gave, uh, like one month after I gave birth to my, my first daughter. And, and after the surgery, I still had to go through uh, multiple <laughs> painful procedures, like multiple procedures after that. And, and, and this was all on top of dealing with, um, you know, having a newborn and, and just the feeling of like, wow, I, I suck as a mom, like I'm a failure. And then, and it's like a really difficult time, and, and, and it was youth camp time, and you know, all that. But, but that season, like now that I look back, like in hindsight, I, I see that that season really caused me, it taught me to cling to God. It taught me to trust Him, and it, t- it taught me to understand that God is my only hope and strength, that apart from Him, I can do nothing, right? And it taught me that in the midst of suffering and tough times, He's right there. Like, you know, the song goes, in darkest nights, you are close like no other. Right? That, yeah, it taught me that. Like, it re- like, I understand that. And I think that that experience actually really prepared me for the next three years when I had to, do, I had to juggle, like, teaching career and, 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 and kids and youth ministry, which, which was really tough as well. And in that season, when I was, like, you know, the, you know, the, like to, to change my dressing, it was so painful. I had to go under GA for the nurse to change my dressing because it was just that painful. Like, you, you're probably faint from the pain or something like that, right? And in that season, my mom kept telling me this, okay? She kept telling me, God does not waste our suffering. Okay, God does not waste our suffering. Our suffering is never pointless. It does something. It accomplishes some purpose of God. We may not see it now. We may not understand, right? We may not understand why, we may not even see it soon, but we trust, we trust that God has a sovereign plan and a purpose through the suffering. Some of you may know that our, our brother Ganesh is facing some struggles with his parents, right? Because they, they don't approve of him coming to church. And, you know, he's been quite badly scolded and, and all that. But once I, I was talking to him and, and he said something like this, you know, he said, yeah, it's hard, lah, but, you know, I know that if I go through all the trouble now, then next time, my kids and my grandkids won't have to face them 
and they can just grow up in a Christian home. Quite good, huh? right? <laughs> right? That's, that's, not even, that's not even hindsight, no? That's like, oh, level up, right? That's like foresight, right? And, and so, so, yes, I think bad things happen, right? People do bad things to you or bad things just happen, right? And, and, and sometimes there is unfair, unjust suffering or maybe it feels like pointless suffering that we go through. And, and we, have, we have struggles, right? We all have tough times, but we believe that through it all, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you are currently struggling, I know that it's hard to see when you are in the midst of the fire, right? When you're in the midst of the, of the, of the suffering, it's very hard to see. But I encourage you to look at the life of Joseph and trust that God is in control, that God has a sovereign plan and a purpose for your life. Right. Now, I believe last week, uh, Janhan spoke about purpose as well, right? He, he spoke about a lot of peace, I understand, right? Does it look familiar? Um, and, and when I was listening his, to his sermon, I thought, uh, I thought this part was really good, <laughs> and, and I thought this part was, was really what I want to talk about as well. Um, so I decided to just scope this outline. Um, but you know, since I care about my slides, uh, let, me, let me just put it nicely, you know, for you. And... We, and you know, we, right, we, we, we just talked about how God is sovereign, right? And that's what we see when we look at Joseph's life, right? And, and Joseph saw that as well, right? So God is sovereign. He has a plan. He has a purpose, right? God is in control of individual lives. But as we think about the story of Joseph, I, I want us to see that it is not just on an individual level, okay? God is in control of individual lives, but God is also in control of nations, right? I think Jonathan mentioned it a bit last week. Now, at this point, Israel is not a nation yet. Israel is still an old guy, right? But a big ancient kingdom like Egypt, right? As we read the story, we see that even Egypt was ultimately still dependent on God. You know, I don't know if the whole story of Joseph um, coming to power in Egypt reminds you of another story, another guy who was like that. Does it remind you of Daniel? Right? Very good. We are recovering Daniel in the main service now, right? And it's very similar, right? A Hebrew slave is summoned to the court to interpret the king's dream that no one else could interpret. And then obviously, he, the, the Hebrew slave, gets highly promoted, right? After interpreting the dreams. Now, in both these cases, Daniel and Joseph, right? Uh, Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar, right? In both these cases, the dreams that the kings received and don't understand show that God was controlling the destiny of these nations, Babylon, Egypt, right? These great rulers, and these are, these are big kingdoms, right? If you read history, you know? These great rulers have dreams that disturb them and they disturb them because the dreams remind them that despite their status and power and success, they still cannot control or even know what the future holds, right? So they have these dreams, they don't understand it and it drives them nuts, right? Because generally they are like, yeah, control freaks something, right? And their wealth, their possessions, and even their wise men, they cannot help them. And they are forced to seek the counsel of a Hebrew interpreter. 
enter Joseph and Daniel, right? And, and this Hebrew interpreter, this Hebrew slave, he's really just a mouthpiece for the wisdom of the Lord God Almighty, right? I mean, I mean, if you know the story of Daniel, right? How in the world would you know what a guy's, like Nebuchadnezzar is like, I had a dream. I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You tell me what my dream is and what it means, right? It's absolutely ridiculous, right? And yet Daniel could do it, right? Joseph, like this strange dream with the cows and the, what, the corn eat, the fat corn eat, right? What, what is that about? But Joseph knows. Because God told him, right? He had a revelation, divine revelation um, from God. And so, no matter how powerful and prosperous these nations were, all nations today are, they are still subject to God's sovereign control. And God is not just the God of Israel, right? That's what we see, I think, when we read the book of Genesis. The Bible is not just some Jewish history book. You have to read the introduction, Genesis, right? You have to start... In the beginning, <laughs> okay, you have to start in the beginning. This is the God of creation. This is the God of all nations. In his grace and in his sovereignty, he chose one nation to carry out his plan. Just like he chose one guy, Abraham, right? But God is the God of all individuals, all peoples, all, all the world. And if you read the story of Joseph, you will see that the entire economy of Egypt, right, the future of Egypt, the lives of their people, they, they, were, they were saved by the Lord God, right? He raised up this guy, Joseph, to save the people of Egypt. But it's not just Egypt. It wasn't just Egypt. Look at Genesis 41. Genesis 41, verse 57. It says, And all the world, all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. So what happened is God blessed Joseph. He became second in command in Egypt, right? But he promoted him to such a position, not just so that Joseph could enjoy the high life and, and the you know, luxuries of the Egyptian court, but that all the world, all nations were blessed because there was this one smart guy with the wisdom of God managing the grain so that people don't die from the famine. He was blessed to be a blessing to all the world. Now, does this sound familiar? Does this begin to remind you of anything? What? It should remind you of the promise, right? This series is called The People of promise because this section of Genesis 12 to 50 starts off with that promise that God gave to Abraham. And this promise is repeated throughout Genesis, right? To Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, right? Do you remember what are the three things that God promised to bless Abraham with in Genesis 12? Kids, right? Descendants, what else? Land, very good. What's the last one? that he would be a blessing to all nations, okay? All nations, right? That he would be a blessing to the nations. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, right? That was part of the promise, that you will be the channel of blessing to all nations, right? And then he also promised him descendants, right? I will make you into a great nation. And he promised land, right? To your offspring, I will give this land. Now, today, as we wrap up the series, I, I want to show you how God has indeed been fulfilling these promises. Okay, so already we see Joseph 
Joseph, right, from the line of Abraham, being a blessing to the nations, right, in his position. Okay, what about the promise of descendants? Now, I don't know if you, if you remember this part in Genesis 32 where, where Jacob, you know, he has, to, he has to meet Esau and he's very scared, he's very stressed, right? And he prays to God and he acknowledges and he tells God when he crossed the Jordan, he only had this one staff, but now he has become two groups because he has four wives and 12 children, right? So it's like from, from just one, you know, one person, he's become uh, 12 children. Now, here at the end of Genesis, okay, if you turn to Genesis 46, chapter 46, Okay, so chapter 46 starts off with uh, God speaking to Jacob, right? He's about to go to Egypt. He's going to meet his long-lost beloved son. And God says, verse 3, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there, right? He repeats the promise. Um, and, and this happens a lot in the book of Genesis, right? God appears, reminds the person that he's the same God who spoke to, the father, uh, to his father or his grandfather or great-grandfather, right? That's why we always say he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And then God repeats the promise. And here, God is specifically telling Jacob, I will make you into a great nation there in Egypt. I will make you into a great nation, right? And so the family moves there. They move out of Canaan, which is the promised land, right? They move to Egypt. And then in verse 8 onwards, okay, chapter 46, verse 8 onwards, we see um, the whole list of Jacob's descendants, okay? We see the sons of Israel, and all the way under 27, including Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, we read that Jacob has 70 descendants. Okay? And it's just the men, right? Because, you know, they, they don't count the women. So there's 70 descendants. Now, think back to Genesis 12, when the promise was first given, and Abraham was like, what's with this promise? You know, I'm so old. I don't have a son. I don't have a single son. But now, fast forward, this family has 70 sons. Right, okay, in the middle, Jacob's like, oh, okay, I have 12 sons, now 70 sons. And so here, at the end of Genesis, we see the family of 70 going into Egypt, right? You look at the next book of the Bible, Exodus, right? It is a whole nation that comes out of Exodus, right? If you just look at the first chapter of Exodus, okay? First chapter of Exodus, very quickly, let me run through with you, Exodus chapter 1. Verse 5 says, the descendants of Jacob numbered 70, right? That's what we read. Verse 7, the Israelites, right? The sons of Israel, Jacob, they, they were fruitful and multiplied greatly, right? This is God's mandate to, to Adam and then to Noah, right? And they became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Verse 9, the new king of Egypt, the Pharaoh says, Israelites have become much too numerous for us. And so they oppressed the Israelites. Verse 12, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. They just keep giving birth, right? And then verse 20, the midwives, Pharaoh told them, hey, kill the babies. But the midwives don't obey him, right? They say, oh, the Hebrew women, they're too strong, right? They, and they don't kill the Hebrew babies. And the people increased and became even more numerous. Okay, what's my point? God fulfills his promise. He's the promise keeper. When he said to Abraham, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. You will be the father of many nations. And he says to Isaac, you know, your descendants will be numerous as the stars in the sky, the, the sand on the seashore. He says to Jacob, I will increase your numbers and your descendants will spread out to the north, south, east, west. God was not just talking big. God was not just exaggerating. God was for real. God is faithful and God keeps his promises. Right? You just trace it. You see Descendants increase, increase, multiply, multiply, increase. Now, another part of the promise is the land, right? So descendants, we see 
Blessing to the nations, fulfilled. Descendants, yes, being fulfilled. Okay, how about the land? Now, in Genesis, the promise about the land is not yet fulfilled, right? The family hasn't possessed the land of Canaan, okay? If you need a spoiler, you need to read until the book of Joshua until you see them actually conquer and possess the land, right? But what we see in these few chapters here in Genesis is the confidence that Jacob and Joseph have that God will fulfill his promise and give the sons of Israel the land, okay? Are you following? Are you still following? Okay, let's look at chapter 47. Okay, chapter 47. At the end of 47, Jacob is about to die. He tells Joseph, Promise me you will not bury me in Egypt, but you will bury me where my fathers are buried. Okay, i.e. Canaan. And then he reminds Joseph again at the end of chapter 49. He says, don't forget, bury me in Canaan. Do you know why? It's because Jacob has not lost sight of the promise even at the end of his life. He knows that the promised land is Canaan. It's not Egypt. He knows God is going to fulfill his promise and make his descendants into a great nation there. And so he's saying, I don't even want my bones to be left in Egypt. I want to go to the promised land. Okay? And then he goes on to pass on the promise to Joseph in chapter 48. Okay? Chapter 48, the first part, right? So chapter 47, at the end, he says, hey, don't, don't bury me in Egypt, okay? 48, he tells Joseph about the promise. The promise of descendants, the promise of land, Right? He tells him, you know, God appeared to me and he blessed me. He says, I'm going to make you fruitful, increase in numbers. I'll make you a community of peoples. I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. And Joseph receives it. And so when Joseph is about to die, he tells his brother this. Genesis 50, okay, verse 24 and 25. I am about to die. Well, I hope I can say that as well. I am about to die, friends. But. God will surely come to your aid and take you out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, these people, they never let go of the promise. It features very strongly in their lives, okay? He, he tells his brothers, you know, God has made a promise and he's going to fulfill it. And, and then he made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. You see, Joseph remembers and he fully believes in the promise. He takes it very seriously because firsthand, he knows God has a plan, God has a purpose. He is completely confident that God will fulfill his promise to his people, which is why he says, hey guys, when you leave, take me with you. In fact, if you look at Hebrews 11, you know, if you remember, Winston, Winston talked a little bit about this. Hebrews 11 is the chapter on the roll call of faith. Right? And what Hebrews 11 says about Joseph is this. Hebrews 11.22, By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, because he knew that God will be faithful to do what he has promised. Now, my point in sharing all that and tracing all that for you is really to tell you that God is a promise keeper. That is why this series is called People of Promise. Okay, God is a promise keeper. The promise is given in Genesis chapter 12. And then in the rest of Genesis, we see how God begins to fulfill his promises. In fact, he keeps on keeping his promises. And we see his faithfulness to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. Through the generations, God is faithful. You know, if I think about my own life, one thing that always strikes me is the faithfulness of God. 
And it's not so much like, oh, God promised me three kids, then, okay, I got three kids. <laughs> no, it was, oh, like, God promised me a bungalow. Then, oh, yeah, I got a bungalow. No, I don't have, okay? But, but, but that God is faithful to His promises in His Word. And there are so many promises of God in His Word, okay? He says that no one whose hope is in the Lord will ever be put to shame, right? He says, His grace is sufficient for me. His strength is made perfect in my weakness, Right, in Psalms, he says, he will not let your foot slip. Right, um, and Corinthians, I think, he says, he gives you victory through Jesus Christ. Right? All these things that God promises. If I look back on my life, 37 years, I have to admit, yes, he's definitely been faithful. And I'll have to say, just like the song that, that we sang, you know, I'll remember how far you've carried me from beginning to the end. You know, to be honest, this week has been uh, really bad for me. Um, I was just really overwhelmed with a lot of, a lot of things, uh, a lot of things, right? Things you need to do in church, FOBX conference next week, camp, um, people who need help, people who need ministry. Um, like, so much I got to pray about and seek God for. My kids drive me nuts. My husband is overseas. Um, and the whole week, I was just like, God, right? Just the whole week, I was just like that. And, but what I was, what I was holding on to is that God has always brought me through these tough weeks. God has always brought me through the tough seasons, right? Every time, every time I'm going through a hard time, I think back on previous hard times, right? That God has seen me through, and He's, he's never failed. He's never failed. He won't start now. I mean, that's, that's what the song says, right? That He will keep on keeping His promises because He is faithful, Right, we sang it just now. There, there wasn't a day that you weren't by my side. Right? There, there, there wasn't a day that you let me fall. All of my life you have been true. It's, it's true. And we need to believe what we sing because it's true. He is faithful. He's faithful through the years. He's faithful in your life. And I think what we also need to see as we read Genesis, and in particular the story of, of Joseph at the end of Genesis, is that God is not just in control and faithful in our individual lives, but at a much bigger level, right, at, at, at a nation level, he's also in control and also faithful, right? We see how the promise given, given to Abraham begins to involve nations, right? The nation of Egypt, the soon-to-be nation of Israel. And, and this, is, this is how big and powerful and in control our God is. He is very much sovereign and reigning over all. And He is faithful and He will keep His promises. And so when your life feels like a mess, and when you feel like you just don't know what's going on or you're really struggling through, through some tough times, you know, remember that the God of all creation is in control. He's in control of the destiny of nations and he's in control of your life. And the one who has been faithful to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 4,000 years ago, his faithfulness continues through all generations, and he will be faithful to you. So he is, he's in control. He is faithful in our individual lives. He's in control of nations. And the last thing I want to look at is how God is in control of eternity, that God is the God of eternity. And to illustrate this, I want to talk about um, the prophecies of God in Genesis 49, okay? 
I can also do the P words, okay? Fortunately, Janhan's not here. I just want to make sure. Okay. Now, um, last week, Janhan talked a little bit about the, the line of Judah, right? Okay, we're going to look a little bit at that today. But if you look at chapter 49, um, you know what? Uh, I, I used to just skip chapter 49, okay? Because it's a little bit weird, right? <laughs> like um, the ESV and the NIV, they both titled that, that, that chapter, uh, Jacob Blesses His Sons, okay? Which is kind of cute. I mean, it's sweet. It's nice, I guess. But actually, if you read it, some of the things he says are just really kind of weird, you know? And they are less like blessings. They are a bit like, like cryptic prophecies, right? He starts by saying this. He says, gather around so I can tell you what will happen in the days to come. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of thing that the witch says, you know, like in the movies, like gather around. <laughs> or like the, the oracle or whatever, like gather around. <laughs> I will tell you what, you know, the future or whatever, right? Um, and then he says all these weird things, okay? Like the first guy, he's just like, Reuben, you suck. You will no longer excel. Like, what? <laughs> um, how's that a black? <laughs> right? Or he says, look at this, okay? He says, Issachar is a raw-boned donkey lying down among the sheep pens. What? When he sees how good his resting place is and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and become a slave to forced labor. And I bet Issachar is like, uh, Dad, how is this a blessing, right? Like, I mean, look at his face. He's like, what the? <laughs> right? And the others are like, lol, until they hear their own, right? And he's like, Naphtali is a gazelle let loose, giving lovely words, right? Can you imagine, like, if, if, the, if Naphtali looked like, you know, like David and Murphy, and you're like, you're a gazelle let loose, giving, like, what? And so all these, these are really strange things said in this chapter, um, more like prophecies than blessings, and quite strange prophecies as well. Um, and there's no time to, to look at each one of them in detail. But if you read all the commentaries, um, you know, the Bible scholars can link all these future events in the subsequent books of the Bible back to these prophecies. Okay, for example, if you look at Benjamin, Benjamin is called a ravenous wolf who devours his prey. Okay, and, and so... For example, um, an example of a Benjamite is Ehud. If you know Ehud in the book of Judges, Ehud is the guy who went to kill this evil Moab king and he, he stabbed the, the sword all the way into his belly. But because the king was so fat, his, the fat of his belly closed in over the entire sword, including the handle. And so Ehud is just like, I'll just leave it there. Um, and then, and then he, just, he runs away and all his servants don't go in to check on him because they think that he is pooping or something. True story, okay? Read it. Judges chapter 3, I think, right? And so when they go in, like, Ehud is gone, and, right? So I guess that is a ravenous wolf who devours his prey, right? Or, or actually, the Benjamites in the book of Judges, the last, two, the last few chapters at the end of the book of Judges, right? The Benjamites did something really bad. There was a, a traveling Levite with uh, his concubine, and, and they stopped in a, a Benjamin, Benjamite town, and instead of offering them hospitality, the, the men of that town go and rape and abuse this woman all night. And then they just leave her like half dead such that the next day the husband wakes up and he thinks, he tells the wife, let's go, but like, the wife is dead, right? And, and um, uh, like, you know, and so he's like, he's, he's, he's appalled and he complains to all the other tribes. And all the other tribes of Israel is like, what is this tribe doing? And they all go to the tribe of Benjamin. They're like, bring out the wicked man and, you know, like punish them. And Benjamin is like, no. We will fight you back. And, and so, like, this is crazy, right? Like, they, and they just fight. And, and, and um, another famous Benjamite is Saul. 
Saul, formerly, no, Paul, formerly known as Saul, right? Who was um, a violent persecutor of Christians before he, he met Jesus Christ, right? So, 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 so you know, the, if you go just read all the commentaries, they, they will link all these um, subsequent events back to these, these prophecies, right? Um, and so here in the prophecies, uh, we, we see that these prophecies in, in Genesis 49, and, and they actually unfold in the rest of, of Scripture. And we get a little glimpse of how God is in control of eternity, right? He knows what's going to happen hundreds of years later, right? He can reveal the future. He can declare the destinies of these people and their descendants because history belongs to our God. Right? History belongs to him. Now, most significantly, we see this as we look at the prophecy to Judah. Okay? Now, if you look at verse 8, Judah has, Judah has kind of become the leader of uh, the brothers. Okay? Verse 8, Judah, your brothers will praise you and, and all that. Right? Actually, Judah is number four. He's the fourth son. Right? The leader of the brothers should be the firstborn. But Reuben, okay, if you've read Genesis, Reuben slept with his father's wife. Right? Um, and, and incest, right, which is why his, his father says you will no longer excel. Um, Simeon and Levi, if you remember Genesis 34, there's this guy who called Shechem who, who rapes their sister and then they just, they do this deceitful thing. They're like, oh, you want to marry her? You must get circumcised and the whole town is circumcised. And while they are recovering from their circumcision, Simeon and Levi go and kill every single male in that town and plunder all their stuff. And that's why Jacob says to them, Cursed be your anger. And so, number one, two, three, they all like, cannot make it. And so, number four, Judah gets the right of leadership among the brothers. Okay? Instead of the three older ones. Verse 9, Judah is likened to a lion. Right? You are like a lion's coming. A lion um, is powerful, he's strong, victorious, kingly, majestic. And in verse 10, Jacob says this, okay? The scepter, that's the king's staff, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Now, the scepter is the symbol of kingship, right? And so what Jacob is saying is that kingship and leadership will come from the line of Judah. Now, this kingship covenant is initially fulfilled by King David and his descendants, but it is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ, right? That's why he says, until he to whom it belongs shall come, until the ultimate ruler and the ultimate king comes. The greatest descendant from the tribe of Judah is Jesus Christ, right? Who in Revelation is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? Out of the line of Judah comes the Messiah, and so right here in Genesis, there is a specific prophecy concerning the Messiah who is to come 2,000 years later, the one who will be the ultimate blessing to all nations because Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And so I hope as we look at the story of Joseph, we really appreciate just how much our God is in control. You know, this is not just a cliched thing to say when people are going through a tough time we're like oh god is in control no he really is in control god is in control over individual lives he's in control at, at a macro level right over over nations um he's control he's in control over 
the nations of the world, right? God reigns over all, and He's in control of eternity, past, present, and future. God is all-knowing, sovereign, and faithful. He is seated on His throne, and He is in control. He has a plan and a purpose for individuals, right? For your life, He has a plan and a purpose for nations, and He has a plan and a purpose for eternity. And as we wrap up this Genesis series and and this sermon, I want to highlight once more the thing that Joseph says to his brothers at the end. Okay, he says this, Genesis 50, 20. He says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to save many lives. See, Joseph recognized this. And if you think about it, this is actually what we see. This is a thread that we see, a theme that we see throughout the book of Genesis. That man intends harm. Man plans bad things, evil things. Man has sinful intentions. Man screws up. Man does stupid, wrong things, makes mistakes. But God takes that sin, that mistake, that evil, and he turns it around for good. Man's evil and failure cannot overthrow the intended good of God's plan and purposes. You know, there is a pattern in Genesis. Human nature doesn't change, right? We just keep sinning, rebelling, failing. You see that in Genesis. But the nature of God also doesn't change. His nature is good and loving, gracious and merciful, and He is sovereign and can turn things around. If you think about it, Adam and Eve, right, at the beginning, Adam and Eve, they had one job. Don't eat the fruit from that tree. But they did, and then there was the fall. And yet, when God was cursing the serpent, God also says this, that the offspring of woman will basically fight with you, serpent. You will strike at his heel, but he will crush your head. And so in response to man's sin already at that point, God prophesied, uh, God, um, a savior is prophesied and a savior is promised. <coughs> we look at the story of Noah. The world is so evil, right? So evil that God is grieved and, and pained that he created man. But God saved one righteous man and his family and he set up a covenant of grace, the rainbow, Right? Yeah, he clears off, you know, he has a flood and all that, but there is one, there is one saving grace, Noah and family. So man screws up, but God turns around for good. Abraham and Sarah, right? I know Abraham is a man of faith, but there were many points where he struggled, right? Hagar, right? Uh, uh, Sarah laughed, right, when the, when the promise was given. And yet God took that around, turned that around, and gave them a son of promise. Think about Jacob. Jacob is, I mean, he's a manipulator, a liar, a deceiver, right? But despite all his lies and deceit, right, all his shortcomings and failures and intentions for evil, all that could not cancel or overturn God's promises still. You see, human beings are always screwing up. We intend evil. We make mistakes. But God, in His grace and His sovereignty, can and does turn things around. And man's evil and failure cannot overthrow the intended good of God's plans and purposes. God's good plans and purposes are unstoppable. 
your failure and your sin is not bigger than the grace and the goodness of God. Man intended harm, but God intended good to accomplish the saving of many lives. And you know, this principle is most fully expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, the character of Joseph is sometimes called a type of Christ. When we say someone is a, a type of Christ, we're saying that he behaves in a way that parallels Jesus' actions or, or, or character. Like he's, a, he's a representative of one or more qualities of Jesus. Okay? For example, Joseph was plotted against and sold for money. Right? He was sold for uh, 20 shekels of silver. Right? Jesus also plotted against and betrayed for 20 pieces of silver. 30, sorry, 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Jesus was falsely accused by the religious leaders. They both suffered despite being innocent, right? Joseph, he faced temptation, right, from Potiphar's wife, but he did not sin. Jesus, too, faced temptation, but he did not sin. Joseph, when he was in prison, he won the respect of his jailer. Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, the centurion looked at him and said, wow, that's a righteous guy. Surely this is a righteous man. And so we see this idea in the story of, J of Joseph that what man intended for harm, God intended for good to save many, right? And this is ultimately fulfilled in the cross of Jesus Christ to save many, to save us from our sin for God so loved the world. Wicked men intending to harm Jesus nailed him to the cross and put him to death, right? The cross is an instrument of torture, of, of death, and the cross would have seemed like the greatest tragedy when really it was the greatest triumph. Man intended it for harm, but God intended it for good because he had a plan and he had a purpose to save many lives. The cross would have looked like the ultimate triumph of evil, right? A righteous blameless man nailed to the cross. It would have looked like the ultimate triumph of evil, but actually it was the ultimate triumph of good, of God. And my friends, this is the God we serve. The God who so loved us that He gave us His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16, right? The next verse says that God sent His Son not to condemn the world, but to save the world to Him, to save many, to save you and to save me. And this is the God, this is the God that we serve, the God who works, who in all things works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. This is the God whose grace is sufficient for us, whose power is made perfect in our weakness and failure and mistakes and all that we intend for harm and evil and sin he can turn it around. This is the God who is in control of your life. The God who is in control of eternity, in control of nations, but also in control of your life. The God who is faithful to the end. He will be faithful to you and He will keep His promises. Can I have the worship team to come up? And I just want to invite us now to, let's just all bow our heads and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you, as you think about what has been shared. 
And let's just think about the God that we serve, right? As we look at the story of Jacob, sorry, Joseph, let's think about the God that we serve. This is the creator God of the universe. This is the God of eternity, the God who reigns over every nation and over every life. And you know, today, if you have never surrendered your life to God, I want to invite you to do that. God is in control of everything. He's in control of the world. He's in control of time and space. He's in control of your life. And He's a good God. He's a gracious God who loves us despite our failure and brokenness and mess. He loves you and He invites you to let Him be the Lord of your life, to be your Savior and your King. And I'm going to ask everyone to just close your eyes. And if there is anyone here who has yet to surrender your life to God, if you would like to do so today, if you just give a little wave, we'll pray for you. If you would surrender your life, to the Savior, the King, and the Lord over the universe, the Lord over all creation. Now today, there may also be some of us here who really need to be reminded that God is in control. God is in control. God is faithful. God has a plan and a purpose for you for your good and I know that these things are hard to hold on to when you're in the midst of suffering but you know today as we worship would you just look to God look to God as the sovereign king the way maker the promise keeper the one who will never fail you would you look to God and put your trust in him put your faith in Him as the one who is completely in control. The one who is faithful and the one who is good. I want to invite us to stand and we're just going to worship. And as we worship, if you need prayer, um, Maybe you're struggling with stuff. The altar is open. You can come forward and, and leaders will pray for you. But I really want to encourage all of us to just look to the God, look to God as the God of faithfulness, the God who's in control over all eternity, over all nations, over all lives, over your life. what you say that you're good and your love is great I'm broken inside I give you my life sing that again give me faith 
gonna continue worshiping for a while and yeah i really want to encourage y'all to hold on to god 
I think that there may be people here who are going through tough times, you're struggling with something, and I just want to encourage you that your heart, may, your heart and your flesh may fail, but God is the strength of your heart and your portion forever. Right? That God will never fail you. God is in control. God is faithful. God is there for you. Let's continue worship. Give me faith to trust what you say. That you're good and your love is Let's keep our eyes fixed on God and let us learn to trust in Him, to trust in, in His goodness. And I guess like being human or maybe being like the people, people who think and all that, um, sometimes we look at our lives and we kind of count based on probability, you know probability leads me to this path and it's likely that I will go, likely that things will happen this way, you know, oh well, you know. But let's not put our life, our let's not trust in chances, let's not trust in probability, let's not trust in all these things, let's put our trust in God. Um, he's, he's above all that and He has always been faithful. He's able to turn things around. He's able to make things happen. He's, yeah. He's, he's great. And, and he doesn't just forget what he said before. He's not like that. He's, he's not like us. He's God. And he's good. Let's sing the third song. Let's sing the chorus of the third song. Sing. And I will sing all you've done. Let's remember. I'll remember how far you carried me from beginning until the end. You are faithful. Remember 
How far you've carried us, and all the times that we have failed, and all the times that we thought that things were hopeless, when we were helpless. It was you who carried us, it wasn't ourselves. And so, because of all that we've gone through and what we've experienced, we know that you're the same. You're the same God from yesterday and to today to forever. You are faithful always. And Father, I pray that when things are difficult that, and we can't see, that you will help us, God. Help us put our trust in you. Help us put our faith in you. And not in circumstances or not in how things might turn out and taking our chances and all that. But I pray that we will take our chance on you and, and put our faith in you. you are faithful God and you're always true yeah. so God I pray that you'll be with all of us help us and uh, help us learn to yeah, to trust you you really are trustworthy you really are faithful so we thank you thank you so much and in Jesus' name I pray Amen thank you for coming and uh, uh, have a good week ahead. <laughs> and uh, yeah, God's with you always.
all these pieces. 